This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. The rest of the story uh, is the title today for our lesson. Uh, I'm going to read the first couple of verses in Genesis chapter 9, verses 18 and 19 uh, to get started. So Genesis chapter 9, verses 18 and 19. And the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth. Notice there's a colon, and it says, And Ham is the father of Canaan. And then 19, these are the three sons of Noah, and them was the whole earth overspread. Let's pray. Father, we pause and thank you for this time together that we can look into your word. Lord, there's a lot of people in the world that have to hide Bibles, don't have Bibles, and can't look into your word. So, Lord, we are blessed beyond measure, and we thank you for that. Now, I pray, Lord, this will be a profitable time for all of us. Open our hearts and minds to learn what you would have us to learn today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. I'll just tell you right up front. Oh, does anyone need a handout? Anyone that did not get one? We have a few extras. So... Okay, I think you did a good job. Why, thank you. You were born to do this. Man. <laughs> a little humor there. Uh, but uh, in any event, when I first went through this, it took me an hour and a half to go through this material. So I cut it down to, to an hour and then just barely under an hour. So I'm going to go fast. Some parts I will skip for time to get us out of here. But I put some uh, verses and things in your notes that will help you with that. But I'll do what I can. So I'll speak fast, you listen fast, and we'll get done as soon as we can. When you maybe read a biography or an autobiography of someone, don't you hate it when you get to the part where you find out that there's a skeleton in their closet? Something <laughs> Maybe you thought you respected this person, you looked up to them, thought they were a really nice guy, and all of a sudden you find out there's something that's wrong. Well, what hurts me the most in my life, uh, and I'm sure in yours as well, is when we find there's, out there's the skeleton in the closet of a famous uh, a preacher or spiritual leader or somebody like that, and, and some of that has happened recently. But it, it, when they've fallen from grace and you find out about it, it just kind of cuts like a knife. And I know you've probably experienced that as well. Maybe someone close, it doesn't have to be famous, but just someone falls and, and it, it hurts. Uh, and today we're going to look at a family that that happened to, Noah and his family, and you probably know where we're going with this. But I want to interject a caution, if I might. Could we just grant a little bit of uh, grace and be charitable as, uh, to Noah and his family as we remember the Apostle Paul's warning in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12 where he says, Wherefore, wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. God put that in there for a reason. Uh, we've got to be careful uh, and not look down our noses at others and, and things like that. In the case of Noah, he did not think it was going to happen either, but it did happen. Uh, and so we will look at that. And that brings us to number one. Your first blank there is tragedy. A family tragedy is what we will be looking at in Genesis 9, 18 through 23. Uh, and 
kind of the index for the rest of the story is given in verses 18 and 19 uh, that we read there. We have the main characters listed, Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth, and the main theme of this section is uh, announced about how Noah and his family scattered over the earth at that time. In chapter 10, what we're going to look at is a genealogy list. You know, it's a list of those obscure names that you don't know how to pronounce. I can't pronounce them. So in any event, a contemporary reader is tempted when he, when he looks at those obscure names to just kind of blow on by them or pass over them and not look at them. But please understand, these obscure people are important. Uh, they founded the nations that throughout Bible history, uh, as, as you read through the Bible, you see how they interacted uh, and with each other, and they helped to accomplish God's will uh, on planet Earth and His purposes. Also, the Jewish culture is very big on genealogies. As you read through and you get to Ezra and Nehemiah and the, and the tribes are coming back from the captivity, uh, they were asked, can you show your genealogy, Mr. Priest? No, I can't. Well, then you're no longer a priest. What about you, Mr. Levite? Can, no. What about you? You say you're from the tribe of Judah. Are you? Can you show that? No, they needed to prove that. So uh, these lists, lineage is, is important to God. He put it in the, the Word of God. He put it in His book for us. Uh, so it must be important to Him, and it's important to the Jewish people. And as we shall see, as we look at the descendants of Shem, uh, they were... Uh, the tribe that, or the people that, that had the family of Israel came out of there. And they played an especially important part on the stage of history. Uh, so letter A in this family tragedy, the first blank that we have there is disgrace. Verses 20 and 21, we see the disgrace. Noah was a farmer, followed the vacation of his father Lamech. But both his drunkenness in this account and his nakedness were disgraceful. And the two often go together. Alcohol uh, is not a stimulant, but it's a narcotic. And when the brain is affected by alcohol, uh, a person loses self-control, if you will. Just a brief note on that. Um, but at least Noah, at least Noah was in his own tent when this happened and not out in public. But when you consider who he was, and this is what we're talking about, the skeleton in the closet. I mean, he was a preacher of righteousness. And what he had done, he had saved uh, humanity and, and the animals being faithful to God to spend all those years building the ark and getting them through the flood uh, and getting them out. So what he, who he was and what he had done just kind of makes it uh, more, uh, makes it worse, if you will, even a little more repulsive. But the Bible does not excuse sins. It mentions them as warnings. Warnings to us. Hey, hey, listen, don't go there. Don't get involved with that. Don't do this. So these are warnings, and we should take them that way. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, uh, verse 6 says, Now these things were our examples. These things are our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. 
So you look at Noah, you see what he did and what happened there in Ham, and you say, okay, these are examples. Stay away from this sort of thing. Stay away from drunkenness uh, is a good thing to think of. Spurgeon, Spurgeon said it this way, God never allows his children to sin successfully. If you think you're going to get away with it, you're thinking wrong is what God's telling us. Noah did not plan this tragedy to get drunk and shamelessly expose himself, uh, but it happened just the same, and it brought disgrace upon the family. Now we're in verse 22, uh, we're going to see disrespect. Verse 22, And when Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told two brethren without. As I read through Scripture and try and understand verses, I, I look at the verbs. And he saw and he told were his two problems here. Um, Ham should not have entered his father's tent without his permission. Uh, he, he could have called out Noah. Noah didn't hear anything. He didn't have to go barging in the tent. He could have peeked through the tent, see what's going on, and just shut his mouth, boom, and walk away. But that's not what he did. He went in the tent, then he came out, uh, and he told his brothers. Uh, so one thing for certain is Ham was very disrespectful to his father. Uh, and how people respond to sin and the embarrassment of others is an indication of their own character. Ham uh, could have done what, it, what we said he did, but he didn't do it, and he told his brothers. You know, Moses had not yet penned the words, honor thy father and mother. That hadn't come about yet. But there had to have been a certain amount of respect for his parents in Ham's heart. I mean, he followed his father. Even when his father was being jeered and teased by those around him, he stuck with his father and helped build the ark. He followed his father onto the ark. He was an adult. He didn't have to, but he did. Uh, and, and I'm sure it was a certain amount of respect and honor uh, involved in that and displayed there. But what Ham did revealed a weakness in his character uh, that could show up uh, in the descendants. His descendants. So far, so bad. But now we'll go to C and see decency. And that's your blank there for C uh, is decency. In verse 23, it says, And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. What they're doing here is they're attempting to minimize this uh, family tragedy. Shem and Japheth had heard what was going on. They could have followed Ham's example, but they did not. They showed respect and honor for their father. And that's what we're talking about here. They showed a love for their father by practicing Proverbs 10, 12. That says, love covereth all sins. Love covereth all sins. And I put some verses there for you in your handout that I think are important. 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all things, have fervent charity among yourself. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. That's not me saying that. That's God saying that. So we learn that from God, that love covers sins. Uh, the brothers stood together, held a garment behind him, went backward into the tent, and, and covered over their father. 
Proverbs 17, 9, he that covereth a transgression uh, seeketh love, but he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. So God's word uh, gives instruction on how to properly deal with the sin of another person. And we're going to look at some of those things here real quick on what God's word has to say about that. Uh, number one, letter I, God does not, or I'm sorry, love does not cleanse sin. Love does not cleanse sin. We see that in 1 John 1, 7. Only the blood of Christ can cleanse sin. Not an act or things like that, but only the blood of Christ can cleanse sin. And I love Pastor's message this morning. fits right in here. And I'm going to throw it in. Only, you know, what helps a lot is continual prayer for that individual. Continual prayer. The second one, I, I love does not condone. And your word there is condone sin. We could park out here right now for a couple hours. But I'm going to say this real quick. And so please, uh, I hope it helps. Probably, this is the most delicate and difficult area of a Christian's life to navigate. Not condoning sin. If you're, if you're a parent or a grandparent, maybe you have a child or a grandchild or, or maybe even someone you know that's close that gets steered by culture or academia, they go off to college and that professor that they think is so great leads them away, or science, or philosophy. Any of these could lead a child away from God. And you don't want to drive a wedge between you and them. They're your child, they're your grandchild, you love them, you still want to be with them. You don't want to drive that wedge, but you cannot condone the sin that they're doing. Well, you lovingly let them know, and they know without you telling them. I mean, you go to church. Uh, that what they're involved in isn't a church thing. They know you don't condone that. Uh, but what, what else can you do? What help can we draw from Scripture? And I think Proverbs 22.6 is the best verse that I use a lot. I know it helps me personally. It helps me personally. Years ago, uh, as I sorted out Proverbs 22, 6. What God is telling us is this. He says, hey, you do your job as a parent, as a grandparent. Get your children, your grandchildren into church. Our mind is better than the best computer out there. Get the word of God. Get the knowledge of his ways and his word into their brains. And then as they grow up and they go off in academia or science or something else, takes them off on the, away from God into the wrong way, God's promise is this, what you put in there will stay in there. They can't run away from it. They cannot go to the other side of the word and forget that you taught them John 3.16. You taught them some of these other passages of scripture. And friends, that gives me personally great comfort when I see a family member or a friend that I think, you know, they know better. What are they thinking? And then I, like pastor said, take that to prayer to the Lord. Say, God, I, I can't even speak to them. They're halfway around the world. They're over here doing this. They're out doing that. But God, you're going to have to do that. And I'm not the only person with the word to take to my relatives. There are people out there that you don't know you'll never meet. 
that could come across their past and hand them a track that could remind them of what they were taught as a child, okay, that God could use to get them back on the straight and narrow that God could use to save them. And so I just wanted to say that there, and prayer, prayer, prayer. Number three, love does cover sin. Love, and we've alluded to that all right, love does cover sin. Love covers sin. It does not go around exposing it and encouraging others to spread the bad news. Oh, tell me about so-and-so and what they're doing so, so I can pray for them. You just want to gossip. You don't want to pray for them. Don't ask me what I know about someone that's fallen or someone that's involved in something because I'm not going to tell you. Uh, if you think there's something wrong, then you pray about it. You pray for them. But love does cover sin. We don't broadcast it. We don't encourage others to get involved. And I put Galatians 6, 1 and 2 uh, in your notes because I think it's so critical. God's word is be much better than my word, folks. Brethren, if a man be overtaken a fault, ye which are spiritual, ye which are saved, ye which are Christians, brethren, those that are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. If you offend me, I'm going to be quick to forgive you because I know uh, that uh, I could be quick to offend you. Uh, so we need to be uh, forgiving one another. We also need to be, uh, as it says here, uh, Speakness of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Galatians 6, 2, and bear ye one another's burden, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And there's an entire message on just the law of Christ. But I'm going to throw it in one more time. Be in prayer, much prayer, fervent prayer, continual prayer, asking, seeking, and knocking, like Pastor said, uh, for this person so that we can restore them. God wants us to use this scripture that we saw here of Noah as an example of the seriousness of departing from the word of God, even if it's a one-time thing in the privacy of our own home because we're indulging in self-pleasure. But this account should be like a guardrail along the highway of life to keep us from going off the road, uh, and avoid that guardrail, stay on the highway of life, uh, and be safe on our journey. Number two, a family prophecy. A family prophecy. Uh, and this is in verses 29 through 24. Verse 24, notice that it says, Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. Awoke and knew. A couple verbs there. Uh, not only did Noah... Uh, know what had taken place, but he knew for some reason uh, who did it. Now, the details of what happened, God doesn't record for us, and we don't need to know that. That's not the point. That would be like gossiping. We don't need to know the details. Uh, it's just the fact that both Noah sinned and his son sinned, uh, and God will now make the point that there will be consequences for their actions. God keeps a record 
of what we do in private, in secret, or in public. It doesn't matter. He knows what's going on, and there are consequences for sin, and that's what we need to take away from this. And then we'll look at verses 25 through 27. And folks, it's interesting. I, I wasn't sure this was true, but I looked it up, and I found it to be true to the best of my ability. This is Noah's only recorded speech that's found in Scripture. This is the only time you hear him talking. The rest of the time, God's talking to him. Uh, but uh, it's too bad that sometimes this, this passage is uh, used as a curse, a curse against uh, Canaan, and it's labeled a curse. But what it really is, it's really a father's prophecy. You know, like Abraham when he prophesied over his children down in Egypt. This is a father's prophecy over his uh, children, grandchildren, uh, the, the descendants later on. And so the word curse uh, is used only once, but notice it's directed at Ham's youngest son, Canaan. It's not directed at Ham, but at his young, youngest son, Haman. Uh, so this kind of suggests to us that Noah is describing the future of his sons and this grandson. And the idea is, you know, what we would consider a normal course of life, God doesn't always look at it that way. So we're going to take a look here at Noah's brief prophetic speech, and that's found in verses 24 uh, through 29, uh, actually 25 through 29. And the first thing we see in verse 25 is Canaan, and the blank there is enslavement. Canaan's enslavement, verse 25 and he, Noah, said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. Uh, looking down through the centuries, Noah, under the inspiration of the Lord, is, uh, is prophesying about uh, Canaan and what's going to happen in his life. Uh, the descendants of Canaan would become servants. The Canaanites are listed in Genesis, and I believe I gave you a number of vert references there for that, uh, because I want you to see that these are the very nations that when the Israelites came into the promised land, these are the ones that they had to put out, were the descendants of Canaan. Uh, so that's what we're talking about there. Uh, and so those verses are there if you'd like to look those up. Uh, but God warned the Jews when, when they went into the land, he said, do not compromise with the Canaanite way of life or uh, anything else and go out and destroy everything that would tempt them in that direction. And as you know from later studies, they didn't do all that. They didn't destroy everything. In fact, they took some of these wives from these Canaanites that had these false gods and it led to their downfall. Uh, so I included a verse for you there, and this is speaking of Ahaz. And so here's Ahaz and what he did. Moreover, he burnt incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burnt his children in the fire after the abominations because of what he saw in the descendants of Canaan, after the abomination of those people, the heathens, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Uh, God does not take burning your child alive in fire to satisfy a, a false god as, as anything good. It, it really uh, is not good. Now what I want to do is just clear up uh, 
two misconceptions that we have that people sometimes look at in this scripture and they'll take away a couple misconceptions. We want to clear those up. First, the descendants of Ham through Canaan are not members of a black race uh, but were the same as Noah and the other two sons. So there's no basis for this curse of Haman or curse of Canaan that would be used for the institution of slavery. None whatsoever. So, and I've heard that in my life. Someone had pointed to this verse and said, oh, see, that's why they have slavery. No, that's not it. That's false. Second, in spite of their evil ways, some of these people, like the Canaanites, built large and advanced civilizations, including the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Egyptians. Uh, so in one sense, what we can say is the descendants of Canaan they built these empires and other things, and what they discovered, what they developed, and some of the things they came up with were used to serve the rest of the world. So we can look at it in that event. But just because the descendants of Canaan were cursed doesn't mean that they would never contribute to the good of the world. So the, those are two misconceptions. Uh, Warren Wiersbe has it in his book, and I thought it was worth uh, mentioning. Moving on, verse 26, Shem. What we see in verse 26 is enrichment. Uh, Noah is giving glory to God here. During his prophetic speech, uh, let's look at that verse 26. It says, and he said, blessed be the Lord God of Shem. So what he's doing is he's not blessing Shem, but he's blessing the God of Shem. He's blessing the Lord God of Shem. And what Noah's doing is giving glory to God and he's saying whatever good comes out of Shem's descendants, whatever you see coming out of there, praise God for that. Give God the glory for what he's doing through Shem. And that's the idea that we have here. Uh, he blessed the Lord God of Shem. And Shem, of course, as you know, is the ancestor of Abraham. Uh, who was the founder of the Hebrew nation. So Noah was talking about the Jewish people. And it's through Israel that we have the knowledge of the true God, we have the written word of God, and we have the Savior Jesus Christ. So in Hebrew, Shem, and I believe I have this in your notes as well, in Hebrew, Shem means name. And so it's the people of Israel that came through the line of Shem uh, that have preserved the name of the Lord for us and for all nations. A number, letter C, Japheth is enlargement in verse 27. Verse 27 says, God shall enlarge Japheth. Japheth is the ancestor of what we generally term as the, uh, the Gentile nations. Uh, they built large uh, civilizations they were a people that would multiply and move on out into other territories. Uh, Ham and uh, Shem were kind of like homebodies, if you will. But Japheth, his people, they went out and they built large nations. You kind of think of it that way. So uh, they would multiply uh, widely. Verse 28, Noah lived another three and a half centuries after the flood, in verse 29, he lived 950 years. So if you think you're old, <laughs> you're not. Okay, so that concludes 
chapter 9. We're going to move into chapter 10. And in chapter 10, we're going to see a family legacy. And the word there is legacy that we'll look at. But before we look at this legacy and try to draw some spiritual lessons from it, we need to heed some cautions. So I'm going to give you some cautions about this legacy. Uh, number one, it's not a typical genealogy. And the word there is genealogy. This is not a typical genealogy uh, in the sense that it only gives names and descendants. Uh, the, the writer of chapter 10 here reminds us that these ancient people had their own families and tongues and lands and nations. And you can see that in Genesis 10, 31. So in other words, this is more than a genealogy. It's a genealogy, plus it's an atlas, plus it's a history book. And so we're watching the movement of people uh, in this chapter 10 as they go out and settle these nations and build cities and, and move out. The second caution is this listing isn't complete, and your word there is complete. Uh, for example, we don't find Edom, Moab, or Ammon mentioned. Yet, these were important nations in the history of Israel, and so it's not a complete list. So the warning is that the list is long, Yes, it may be, and yes, you may not recognize those names. It's important to God, but it's not a complete list. You can go to like First Chronicles and read those first nine chapters starting with Adam and going forever if you want a more complete list. And three, it's difficult to identify, and the blank there is identify some of these nations. And the reason we can't identify them is because some of them... Uh, you know, have changed their names to what we would call a modern name. Over the centuries, nations can change their names. They can move to different locations. They can modify their language, or they can even alter or change the composition of the nations through intermarriage with other groups and things like that. Uh, so this is, these are not, the warnings are that it's not a typical genealogy, it's not a complete genealogy, and it's difficult to identify that. So just bear that in mind as, as you read these. Uh, and Japheth's descendants, we see starting in verse 2, it says the sons of. It mentions seven sons and seven grandsons, and it's a good example of these lists not being complete. But that's what's mentioned there, uh, like we cautioned earlier. Japheth, the ancestor of the Gentile nations, uh, were located in the north and west uh, of the land of Canaan. Uh, and these would be classified as the distant nations, if you will, the countries that represented the outer limits of civilization that they, as they moved out. And then Ham's descendants, starting in verse 6, the sons of, of Ham. And if you see some of the names there, Cush that's mentioned is ancient Ethiopia, not the modern Ethiopia. So you see how we can't identify them. We have to take a little work. Then also Mizraim, that's Egypt. So makes it a little difficult there. Uh, and put, maybe, but we're not sure, but it may be Libya. So the descendants of Ham located in the areas today that we would define as Egypt, Palestine, Sudan, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, in that area. Again, closer uh, knit group. So at this point, 
starting in verses, in verses 8 through 12 of chapter 10, so I better turn the page, uh, 8 through 12, we see a kind of a parenthesis here, and we're going, there's a man named Nimrod that's mentioned, and, and they give him these verses and talk about him. He's the founder of a great empire for sure, uh, and he played an important part in the history of Israel. Nimrod is called a mighty man uh, in the earth and a mighty hunter before God. And when you see that word mighty, you might want to think of like David. When he surrounded himself with people, there was a mighty man of war, a mighty soldier, a mighty this or a mighty that. And that's what we're talking. Nimrod was uh, uh, like a champion, if you will, uh, or superior in strength or courage. Nimrod built four cities, uh, I believe they're mentioned in verse 10, in Shinar, or Babylonia, four more in Assyria. And both Babylon and Assyria, if you remember, as you read through the conquest they're going through and after they get established in the nation, both these uh, were enemies of Israel, and they were used by God to chasten the disobedient people. So we'll more, learn more about them later on. And now, uh, I didn't put any blanks here in Shem's descendants either. Verse 21, it says, unto Shem, and from this line comes Abraham. This is the spiritual side of the house, if you will. Uh, Shem's usually mentioned first, but he's not here. Verse 21 tells us that Japheth was the elder, so we're not sure of the exact lineage. Japheth is older than Shem. Shem Ham was mentioned as the younger so we're not sure of the genealogy or, or how they are, but Shem is normally mentioned first, and it may be because he is the spiritual side of the house. Uh, but in the next chapter, we'll move into the story of uh, Babel and the genealogy of Abraham, uh, who descended from Shem. Five sons are mentioned here, but the emphasis is on the family of Arphaxad because he was the grandfather of Eber. And Abraham the father of the Hebrew relation comes from the line of Eber. Uh, and so his story begins in chapter 12, Abraham's does. And now we look at letter E, significance for family legacy. Uh, there's a reason for this. I'm going to move quickly. Uh, important truths. Truth is, uh, you're blank there, and I, uh, Jehovah God is the Lord of all nations, is the truth. We, first truth we want to consider. The second, uh, I, I of one blood, and the word there is blood. In spite of all the external differences, all nations come from one human family. Folks, you trace it back through ancestry.com if you want to, but we're going to go right back to where Noah and his wife were the, like the second Adam, and out of them came all nations. Uh, and so we're all of one blood. God in his providence permits some to get rich or have power or whatever, but we're all of one God. And God has a purpose. God's chosen nation is Israel. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And we get into chapter 12 and move on, you'll see that Israel is a center stage uh, in the narrative of the word of God. God does use the other countries and rulers to fulfill his purposes with respect to Israel. 
And that's why they're in the Bible. The fourth one is God is concerned. And you're blank there for IV or number four is concern. God is concerned for all nations. You know, in the New Testament, the church's great commission to go out, that's not an afterthought. If you look and you read the Old Testament, it's woven right in there too that they, the Jews were supposed to tell the other people about God, the Lord God that we're talking about. And number five, uh, encouragement to Israel. The conquest of Canaan was a victory of faith in God's promises. They believed God's word. So imagine, put yourself in the sandals of Israelites and they're going up to cross over the Jordan to take the land. And here's all these people up here that are descendants of Canaan. And what has God promised? They will be their servants. So in their mind and in their heart, they know that when they go in, they are going to win. God said it, that settles it. So the promise from God was that they would, be, they would have victory, and that's why God ex admonished Joshua in 1.8 to meditate on the word of God. If you have God's word in your heart and you believe God's word in your heart, then as you come up against difficulties and against trials and tribulations, you can say, God, I know this is not going right in so-and-so's life, but I've got Proverbs 22.6. I did my job, I trained him up, and now, Lord, I'm committing him to your care. Uh, you can pray for people uh, fervently like as Pastor mentioned. Well, Noah and his three sons left a mixed legacy for the world, and that's for sure. But God, I make sure I got everything. I get all the blanks? I think so, good. Thank you. God divinely inspired and divinely preserved his word for us. And these accounts are to be examples for us, and we need to look at them that way. Uh, it's not just a history book. There's a reason for this book to be written. Uh, some of these examples are good and some are bad. Uh, but through it all, we know for certain that the Lord of all nations was in charge. For certain, we know that the Lord of all nations is in charge. And for certain, we know the Lord of all nations will be in charge in the future. So for Noah and his three sons, for now anyway, that's the rest of the story. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the time here. Lord, uh, help us to uh, meditate on your word, to take it on board, to make it part of our life, that, Father, as we go about our daily life, uh, we will know the truths that you've promised. Uh, we'll have them, and we'll avail of them, ourselves of them. And, Lord, we will be that light to a lost and dying world. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and God's Word has had an impact on your life, as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.